Welcome to the Star Love Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Beck, the Oracle in New Orleans, founder of Intermakeup Astrology. To learn more about what I do, visit intermakeup.net. And today we welcome Marin Altman. Marin is a professional astrologer, author, and current philosophy graduate student located in New York. Her work focuses heavily on providing astrological education, and it's rooted in historical understanding in combination with modern innovation and looks to quote, ground the woo, end quote. <laughs> While her past practice has focused on natal astrology, her current work has shifted to largely mundane and political astrology, where she is doing ongoing research. Marin, how are you doing? Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm doing pretty well. What about you? I'm good. You know, it's so fun how I found out about you because I have a friend, you know, I think like yourself, really good with media, good just with all the media platforms. I'm not always good with it. I depend on the kindness of, you know, and I'm coming from New Orleans, the kindness of strangers to help me with technology. Uh, But, you know, one of my friends, a little shout out to Caitlin, uh, she sent me a video on TikTok of you. And I was like, oh, dear, like the Internet's always coming at me. But then I looked at the video. I'm like, wow, Caitlin, you know, and she doesn't know much about astrology. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? You got some good astrology there. That's pretty <laughs> good stuff coming through TikTok. You know what? Let me go see if I can get Marin on the podcast. So, you know, that, yeah, it's great. And um, your website is MarinAltman.com. So everybody can you pretty much got everything pumping through the website there. Right. Yes, everything yeah. is connected through there. Yeah. And, and just lots of stuff. I mean, far more. And we'll get all into it far more than, you know, even the bio. We'll get into all the stuff that you're up to. But, you know, that brings us to the beginning. How did you get into astrology? I found astrology pretty early on, very accidentally, because I started reading pretty early. Everyone in my family was an early reader. And when I was a toddler, my parents would give me newspapers to look at the comics and Pretty early on, it was clear that I didn't really care about picture books or around Mm. comics, Mm. that I really loved the words, and Mm. the horoscopes were right next to the comic section. And so I started looking at those uh, weekly, and for whatever reason, those words, even though I didn't really know what they meant, and it wasn't like I was cognitively able to consider, um, you know, the context of what I was reading, it was just memorizing words, that led into slowly and steadily interest in astrology as I got older and pulling up my chart when I was really young and again not knowing what I was looking at but at least familiarizing myself with that language and Mm -hmm. by the time I was an adolescent that's when I was the person at the sleepover talking about everyone's natal chart and I was the person Then in high school, that was um, giving that's when I started to get paid for readings. And I still didn't think I was necessarily an astrologer because I had different plans. But it's it it found me ridiculously early on in life. Mm. And at that point, it was it stuck. So what were your designs on life earlier on before you, you know, sort of, as you say, astrology kind of chose you? I had plans, well, when I was very young, I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer and then a field agent because I thought that I was, you know, destined to um, do something really badass. But Mm -hmm. then it turned into acting. And yeah, for most of basically my entire life until I was 19 and got to college, I planned on being an actor. That's what I came to my undergrad degree for. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly... 
um, you know, around the time that Pluto was on my ascendant, I literally completely transformed and realized that that wasn't the authentic drive for me in life and that what had been there all along was astrology and its related contemplations about um, reality and philosophy at large. Right. And, you know, we'll get into that. I'm very interested in, you know, your pursuit and study of philosophy. I'm, this comes up immediately. So the definition of astrology, what is astrology? And you had, an, as you were saying, an early experience with the words. And, you know, I've been dealing with words recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, just it's so funny this comes up. And I don't want to get too off track, but because I I know I was watching some of your stuff. I know you don't like getting off track. So we'll, I promise we'll stand <laughs> no track. Worries. But, I just over the weekend, um, I had finished reading Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky and the concept of words and words actually being getting us in trouble, potentially, like when we author or essay a viewpoint that can lead into things that's interesting too. you um, were interested in criminal justice, but (laughs) then kind of leaving the words. But my question is, if you're interested in the words in a newspaper when you're younger, as far as a horoscope, how do the words relate to astrology? I mean, I think you had you wrote that you were a poet for the stars. So, you know, how do words get us to astrology? What is astrology and how are you a poet? I consider astrology to be a system of pattern synthesis because we are looking at patterns in celestial alignments and their correlated earthly events. So we're synthesizing what are all the overlays of planetary alignments um, in coordination with one another? Because there's multiple patterns going on at a given time. And that, I think, leads the astrologer to be a an interpreter and a translator. Mm-hmm. Because the astrology is the direct, um, I don't want to say data, but it's the information, it's the pattern, and that always crosses through our synthesis of that pattern into mm-hmm. prediction, uh, into claims. And a poet for the stars is um, mm-hmm. basically a fun way to say that I talk about what I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. It goes from all of this phenomena and then transliterating it into words. Um, whereas, <laughs> funny enough, in Crime and Punishment, it starts with words. It starts with the mind, goes wrong, and then there is some kind of redemption at the end that leaves the words. It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? And what we'll get into, because you are a writer yourself. I mean, it's not, you know, we're not just talking about words for fun here. I mean, but we'll get into some of the, I mean, you've already, I mean, you have, what, like four books out and we'll, we'll go through some of them. I mean, it's very impressive. Yeah, I, I don't know how you time, have the time to do all this. Okay. And and that's, so you're talking about astrology. So, you know, you're, you're teaching astrology right now. You're in the trenches teaching people. Um, so what do you try, and you know, I was reading a little bit about this, what do you try to achieve through your teaching? And you, you know, I was watching one of your tutorials, you really take the Occam's razor approach. So what are you trying to do with your teaching? I'm trying to open people's minds in the most direct route, because mm. when we, knowledge is power, and when we fully understand knowledge as, um, not just facts, but actually Mm -hmm. underlying principles, Mm -hmm. we can make a lot better use of it. And I see astrology as the most profound planning mechanism that I can use to work with reality. And there's a lot of tangents that can come with that, that some people love to specialize in, but I have found 
the most power from astrology to come from the direct interface of it as a mirror for reality and how I can use that to my advantage. And so with that, I just try to teach things in a way where if I can lay the framework, people can run, run with that and create whatever they if they to the most um, esoteric or most evolutionary approaches, which mm-hmm. tend to be much more loftier than at least where I am right now, they can take that. But I just love the approach of parsimony and simplicity mm-hmm. because then you can do the most with that in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, interestingly, that's, <laughs> there really are synchronicity. I mean, crime <laughs> and punishment, that's essentially what happens. You know, re- the character Raskolnikov, you know, which means it's like part of the root of his word means bell and then it also means schism. But he breaks away from sort of this higher but simpler for lack of a better word, order of things. So I, I like that. I mean, I think, you know, simplicity is really important. I mean, there. Uh, this is, a, oh gosh. See, you, you get me, I feel like, I don't want to blame you. You get me off track with your great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Gravity's Rainbow, another huge novel I love, but the the um, the temptation to make things too complex. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's, that's a real, it's a temptation, isn't it? It's almost a sin to over, you know, make things too complex. So I, I love this, like simplifying it. Okay. So where can people, they can go to your website, um, Marin Altman, but talk a little bit specifically about some of the courses and you have a couple books that you even offer. I mean, lots of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, this is not just, I mean, you really have a lot of resources on your website. Could you, so could you talk a little bit about that? The stuff, you know, you got going on that you can offer people. Yeah, I have an introductory webinar called Actually Learning Astrology that Mm -hmm. I offer repeatedly because I think that a lot of people don't know where to begin. Like they don't even know what to Google. So I and I I, sorry, I did watch that. This this is really good to watch. I think even, you know, just for me, I was (laughs) was coming down from crime and punishment and it was actually really great because it was so simple. It was just like it was really I'm not, you know, not. um you know, it was really good stuff, just distilled straightforward. So people who are listening, I think it's a great way to just an hour, you know, really good stuff. I'm sorry. So go ahead. (laughs) No worries. Yeah, that's what I try to provide with that is um, a springboard because there are so many different schools and lineages. And um, kind of in the same way, I have my Astrology Academy, which is a really comprehensive full course that takes you from the history of astrology into practicing astrology Mm -hmm. and it does have roots and background in ancient hellenistic greek Mm -hmm. not immersed so that that's the only thing we cover but because i do provide rationale for why that ends up being what some things have turned into now i do find it heavier on that than necessarily any um really specific techniques that some more modern schools use and Mm -hmm. That is um, that's what I really spent the greater part of the last year or so working on was something where I could create an all in one foundation course that way, because I I feel that there's a lot of astrology courses that are good layers or it's like a webinar where it's a really specific technique. But it took me years and years to basically unknowingly learn a lot of the back end and the why and the. Uh, I, it possibly was also because I was growing up when the translation projects were taking. So right. just by nature of that, that's what was coming out. But 
I felt that there was a hole in the educational sphere for something that was just a baseline because there's mm-hmm. plenty of bells and whistles. And mm-hmm. that's my main course is my astrology academy. And then I also have a manifestation mysteries of the moon course. Yes. And we, that sounds yeah. great, but yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's on working with the moon cycle. And I have plans to do a course on every celestial body and planet. So sun, moon, and the planets. But Mm -hmm. that was my entryway because even though I am not someone who does necessarily physical rituals with the moon, I do time releases and like business projects with it. Mm -hmm. And I like the, the, the cycle of the moon is a good entryway into other planetary cycles so that that gets really into the energetics of Mm -hmm. beginnings and endings and how astrology is a mirror for that. And just for, you know, astro people who are in, this is my, this is on moon day. This is Monday, October 26th. I think we have a Pisces moon right now. Yeah. So I wonder how you feel about that. <laughs> I love Pisces moons. They were well great. Start crossing over my Jupiter in Pisces. It's like just like benefic greatness. I look forward to Pisces moons. <laughs> I guess, you know what? I, I suppose it's benefic for me too, because I have a really strong Jupiter in my chart in Sagittarius. So Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So this is well, I think this is very benefic. I'm enjoying myself and lucky yeah. to have you on. So it's yeah, very. <laughs> and then that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, using a quadrant system, the the moon would be in my fourth house whole sign. It would be the fifth place. So, you, you know, know I can, <laughs> exactly. I Well, and this is actually something I don't think is known too much. But the astrologer Marinus, he actually kind of liked to combine them both. Yeah. Um, okay, good. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, it always, I'm such a softy, but it, the fights, I, I have such trouble with the fights and I just want to, you know, I can be very, um, placid, you know, it's placidus. No, cause it's, <laughs> cause I, um, I actually live and work in what used to be a Masonic temple. So I am kind of, you know, I'd like there to be a placidity, but that can't yeah. always be what it is. But anyway, but the, the moon is, you know, you know, fortunate for us. Nonetheless, and I want to get more into your moon stuff because I think that's some sounds like something great. Okay, so next thing is yes, I know. Um, the main point there is you can do both. You can do work from well, and then but the thing I also like about your course that I was watching um, over the weekend, the intro course whole sign really was the original so understanding the roots of what it was and then right. you can flower from there that's it, exactly. I, like the, I like the way that you do that i think that's great and for me personally you know i've only had my practice for four years but i it was it's interesting you should bring up we're very blessed to live in the contemporary age with the sources we do have, even though, as you say, there's so much. I mean, we've just got these ancient Texans. I mean, just got in the past several decades. So we're living in an era where we're lucky that we can access all these things. So um, but then yet there's still a lot of ways to go. So that can be confusing. Yeah. So go check out MarinOltman.com. Great way to distill this stuff downward. Um, OK, so this is something, you know, I can struggle with at times and I have a lot of responses to people or a lot of, you know, um, prenumps <laughs> with people when I talk to them about astrology. But you talk about, um, you know, grounding the woo or astrology not being perceived as a magic show. So what you know, what what do you think sometimes people expect from astrology or an astrologer and, you know, managing expectations to get to some of the great stuff that astrology really is. I think that on a 
really initial basis, it's a misunderstanding of what astrology is because since it's still on the fringes of a lot of society and because often the people who gravitate towards astrology are also gravitating towards other um, more niche interests like spirituality or tarot or anything new age, it can be lumped in with them, which isn't always incorrect, but on a uh, technical basis, it's different than other forms of um, inquiry because it's not dependent on the intuition or like psychism where there's um i would argue like throughout history that if you look back at who famous astrologers were they were not um they were not necessarily they might have been mystics or spiritual Mm -hmm. seekers but they were not psychics or oracles they were technical people in political office usually Mm -hmm. and that is but by no one's fault, generally, a misunderstanding of just what astrology is. And by virtue of that, even if someone understands that you're not a future, you're not an oracle, but you're someone who's trying to um, use tools to look at the future, there can still be the expectation that we're here to put on a show or be entertainment. And right. that also isn't usually anyone trying to be malicious, but there can be sure. the And um, I've never had a client who's like, cross their arms and been like show me like I've never had that but often um I can see in the way that astrology might be discussed not even I don't I wouldn't say I get that much skeptic hate or anything but mm-hmm. in 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 very very external circles where it literally is seen as something where not even I'm not even um trying to rail on magic like magic's cool but that's not what astrology necessarily is <laughs> right um you know, interesting. It's funny to think about you most. I agree with you. Most clients, I don't even face this problem. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But there is this preemptive, you know, statement. But, you know, some of the times I go out and do the events, you know, because I'm in New Orleans. So, of course, <laughs> and that it's weird at the sort of event spaces or sometimes some of the more schlocky entertainment, you know, just whatever it is, like astrology, tarot for fun. Um, you get more of the skeptical stuff, which I find it's kind of interesting that when you get into the entertainment stuff, well, I guess there is a history of that. I mean, and not invalid. I mean, there are fine skeptical arguments, but especially in that kind of milieu. But but yeah, I think it is important to say that that, well, you know, I'm trying to get a gentleman, um, Alexander Boxer, he's going to be coming on um, in the coming months, but he gets into like ancient astrolabes and really yeah oh yeah yeah it'll, wow. that'll be really fun to have him on and he compares you know Bonatti's techniques with like modern stock market yeah. timing techniques and you know gives a you know rendering of it very interesting stuff and you know the the um I mean you know you said you were hesitant to use the word data but you know talking about some of the astrologers being the original kind of data scientists yeah. trying to set up algorithms so it's very and then let's be honest sometimes people who make predictions nowadays just in any field or any data field or whatever they could get it wrong too so why yeah. keep going back to them but so then why anyways so i think it's it's there's a complex history to astrology which you know i like that you're bringing up and trying to distill it simply so then people can move forward okay so and you know, you have a background in philosophy. You're you're still studying philosophy, so it's it's not you know you're not just doing this per se. Not that there's anything wrong with just doing astrology, but really, as you're saying, thinking of the philosophical precepts and philosophical 
principles about what we're doing or just in general. So how do you bring philosophy to all this stuff? In a really funny way, I think that astrology is not even concerned with astrology as much as it is an entryway into looking at larger structures of reality that Mm. coincidentally have to do with planetary alignments and philosophy and understanding the implications of certain worldviews or uh, ways of conceptualizing time and space and things like that. Mm -hmm. When that's paired with the tool of astrology, that gives so much more empowered knowledge the way that we live our lives and i think that learning astrology with at least an introductory understanding of what philosophy and what philosophical schools uh cater to understanding astrology strengthens it so much and i couldn't imagine teaching on um teaching on planetary alignments without first teaching on what kind of frame of mind do we need to unlearn and possibly open up to to um, recognize that. That's great. So are there any, you know, because you, you have the incredible depth, but also the practicality. I mean, for people, honestly, for, you know, I just, the, another podcast has been coming out, uh, going to be coming out is Rebecca Gordon. And she, like yourself, also teaches astrology classes. And she has people who come in that she said, okay, they've been like studying quote unquote astrology for 10 years. And then they come into class and like, I don't know anything. And I would imagine you have the same thing. So if somebody's listening to you, to us now, maybe they've been studying astrology for a long time, or maybe not. What are some of those core philosophical precepts as far as, okay, this is how we're approaching it. This is the mindset that we need to have in order so that we can potentially experience reality or understand reality on a deeper level to really, you know, make hopefully a turn for the better. Yeah, I think that learning, firstly, hermeticism, not even something that's real, like the whole the, the Hermetica, the book itself, is a pretty quick, short read, actually, that I recommend to a lot of my students, where looking at myths around the creation of the universe as mm-hmm. ways of evoking some truth in you is important because mm-hmm. it's not as if we are saying that these uh, stories and these myths are literal, but that they're used as devices for us right. to cultivate greater knowledge in ourselves. And mm-hmm. in the same way, Stoic philosophy is is innately intertwined with the very structure of the tools and techniques that we're using with mm-hmm. looking at things objectively that some things are preferable and unpreferable but that we don't freak out or assign prescriptive value to that where mm-hmm. understanding just the stoic philosophy of you know taking reality for what it is without complicating it um after is important for understanding how the technical practice of astrology is not necessarily equatable to the consulting or the um, interpretive aspect where uh, seeing things for what is is different than how you then act and um, it's important to just see things for what they are and then you act in astrology or in life according to that and um, those are the two main schools of philosophy for um, Western astrology, at least. And I do have some background in Eastern philosophy just through being a yoga teacher and um, an introductory background. But those are the Western schools that I do recommend that have helped me when I was learning both alongside each other. Or I'm sorry, when I was learning philosophy and I was thinking about the astrology, I realized how much of it really was going together. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a profound combination. 
So you sort of were talking about it a little bit, but you really dive into some of these ancient texts. What has it been like spending time with these texts and reading them and experiencing them? And then also how we can even approach them from a modern gaze, because human beings, the conception of what it meant to be a human being was so different. So what's been your experience reading these texts and how to engage with them from a modern vantage point while trying not to be anachronistic about <laughs> you? Right. Yeah, yeah, no, because it's it's really, you know, a skill or a talent to be able to really sit with those texts. Since people have already done the heavy lifting of translation, every time I get to read something, I just feel really grateful that Mm -hmm. I am able to see it. And I think that, honestly, just reading so much of the astrological terminology throughout my life allowed me to, I I just love reading those texts, honestly. Mm -hmm. There are some more than others. Um, I find William Lilly really, really difficult to read. Mm -hmm. Um, He's winding, and there's some authors like Valens that I think are so approachable and so Mm -hmm. much more of an entry point. And I love reading about how these ancient people thought in a lot of the same ways that astrologers do today. They fight over calculations and techniques. And um, like I read Ptolemy and think of how ironic it is that him as an outlier would become the standard understanding of astrology for a few hundred years when he is just mm-hmm. so strange and was it's just funny seeing human nature and the way that people try to convey their uh, techniques and what they're thinking of as themselves. So I enjoy looking at that. <laughs> Yes, and I think I think this is what you're saying, but it is an interest. I find this especially, you know, it's the Star Love podcast. Give love to y'all astrologers, but there there is something about you know the the subject object. You know, as an astrologer, we project something. I don't think it can ever even. I, I get astrologers on how objective can it can be, and I don't think it can ever be totally objective. Right. You know, but essentially that we're we are involved in this stuff. Um, you know, sort of a priori. So, uh, oh, this is a question I had. So how do you, some of these texts, it, I feel like it was quite different because some of the, the ancient astrologers, they really were poets. So one, I wonder what you think about this. Sometimes rereading these ancient texts, they're not necessarily read as poetry, but some of it is poetry. So how do you parse out, okay, here's a text that's writing about you know, okay, Manilius says, okay, now the claws are rising over the horizon, and that's something poetic, but then how to apply that practically? Maybe I just have always seen myth as metaphor, uh, Mm -hmm. but I think that I, I just question it all, so that even if it's a technique, I'm questioning what is the the metaphysical thought behind it and then if it's poetry I'm thinking what is the technique they're referring to and then you get to what is then the rationale behind it so Mm -hmm. I see it all different ways of conveying information and Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes I am someone who prefers the more direct way of Mm -hmm. of reading things where yeah like Manilius or Rhetorius that can be a bit more winding I'm like Mm -hmm. this is this is beautiful but (laughs) um, I would just like the straight delineation but I think that Taking it all as um, a way of looking at things, I mean, even today with some of the ways that we speak about astrology, it's not meant to be literal. It's not as if um, Mars is literally this warrior being in the sky hurling a ray backwards at Saturn Mm -hmm. necessarily, Mm -hmm. but that's a way of us describing it. So I take it as all different writing styles and ways Mm -hmm. of uh, speaking about something that is quite complicated to speak about. 
you know, that's a great way to put it because it's sometimes, you know, if a, a bad say a battle emerges around these topics amongst astrologers, you know, it could be just an error of genre as opposed to what's right or wrong, but that, you know, and then there can be an, an obsessive need to classify, but nevertheless, you know, putting things in a good, um, to delineate them properly. Wow, okay, philosophy, but you also have a psychological background too. So tell me about how you bring psychology into astrology. I, like with most people, I got into astrology through the me, 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 like I want to learn about myself. <laughs> and yeah, that's what happens when you have a Leo stellium and the sun conjunct the north node. That's that's how I got into <laughs> astrology. And with that, I um, was always interested in the, psych- the psychology behind my characters and acting. I found that really mm. And that led me to studying it in my undergrad degree, partially, along with philosophy mm. and creative writing. Mm. And For me, um, I started to look at psychology again as uh, understanding the framework of reality and Mm -hmm. seeing as well how in psychology we're making structures of things that cannot be structured as a way to understand what cannot be structured, where it's not. That's exactly right. And that's crime and punishment because Rex Kolnikov, he makes this schism and he's trying to enforce structure upon like literally almost like mother russia and it doesn't work okay yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like trying to impose the mind on the cosmos and it just it's not going to work <laughs> right that's how i found specifically my my focus was on abnormal and clinical psychology and mm-hmm. just things that the, the spectrums of things and mm-hmm. that i think catered well to even astrology now that i see my interest is not necessarily in natal psychological but right. In all ways of looking at astrology, we are making boxes. It's not as if, so to speak, that like there are these real set uh, like boxes in space and that mm-hmm. planets are moving in and out in this existence totality. It's a way of us understanding what is out there so that we can best make use of it and work with it. And so not only has psychology allowed me to develop, you know, counseling skills and things that are Mm -hmm. necessary if you're seeing clients, but further contemplation of structuring things. Right. With the acknowledgement that if we try to force the structure onto it, oftentimes bad things happen. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, so I love this. Uh, your acting background. Are there any characters that come to mind that you really wanted to get into the nature of the character as related to astrology? In my acting, I don't recall ever giving characters, you know, a birth chart or anything. But I have mm-hmm. done that in my books with the characters, where I try right. to think of, um, you know, the time. I'll, I'll pull up a random chart if I need inspiration, or I'll mm-hmm. you know, try to reverse engineer, but. With acting, that wasn't usually what I did, mostly because I, I was I was younger, and so I didn't think of it as astrology is interrelated to the other aspects of my life. But it definitely today does bleed into um, if I, you know, see a celebrity or someone, I'm wondering what they're what um, what they are, and if I see characters, I'm trying to think of what signs they would be. Yes, and I just remembered uh, to add a rejoinder to something you said earlier, which is, and you probably know this quote, but Sallustius, the I believe the Roman philosopher, myths are things that never happen but always are. Right. Yes. So that's what you're saying, I think, and that's great. Yeah. Um, and you know, one th- thing to uh, add another rejoinder to what you were saying. 
this idea of a throwing up a wrong chart. Now, actually, um, two of my favorite astrologers, Maggie Hyde and Jeffrey Cornelius, the company of astrologers, <laughs> they explore they explore this phenomena yeah. as far as now. Actually, Maggie had if you get her, she has a book, Young in Astrology, but yeah, yeah, oh yeah, great book. And if you, uh, she was she asked a question, can you just pull up a wrong chart? And the answer was no. But sometimes a wrong chart shows up, or you're like, I need some inspiration in the moment, you know, the moment of astrology. Let me throw up this chart for a character. I mean, that's great. That's this is yeah. these are great ideas for people, even advanced astrologers, just get moving with the stars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love take, yeah. astrology, by the way. That's one of my favorite books. Oh, ever. I, I, well, yes. And, you know, it's, Jeffrey came on the Star Love yeah. podcast. For people, yeah, it's I, really amazing stuff. Um, okay. So Pluto. <laughs> and we're, you know, we're moving, you know, because I, I was, again, I was watching uh, the, the sort of basic introduction video that you give on your website, and you brought up Pluto in a way that I think people don't usually talk about, which is the, the images that we got in about Pluto, I think it was only like seven years ago or something, but the heart of Pluto, and I see it as somewhat of an obscured or maybe even broken heart, so... Yeah. You know, there's so many different ways to look at Pluto in astrology, and I think Pluto, by his nature, is somewhat obs- obscured. But how how might you recommend to people to look at Pluto? I see it as bubbling beneath the surface, like a volcano that has a lot of magma, or an iceberg that has a ton of ice beneath it, but you're only seeing the surface. And in that way, it's an energetic qualifier which I call all of the outer planets energetic qualifiers because they get much more into the adjectives and adverbs, I think, than they do Mm -hmm. clear nouns. But with Pluto specifically, it is both, you know, fission and fusion. It is the atomic scale of something small, um, you know, becoming an atom bomb. It is Mm -hmm. something huge becoming the size of your palm, like with Mm -hmm. phones. And in the same way, I just think of Pluto with that heart. I think of Pluto as being very ironic and very horror <laughs> film-like, where mm-hmm. it's just this the scary ironism of things. Mm-hmm. And um, that heart on, on it, which does look like this really emo, broken heart on mm-hmm. the body of something that is kind of an outcast and is reclassified every few years, mm-hmm. I think speaks to the irony of, of Pluto and what it does when you think that you are done being transformed. Wow. <laughs> That's really great. I love that. Do you, part of me feels like Pluto, it is this brokenheartedness of Pluto so that there, it gets to this, where is that place in your life that you're brokenhearted and then addressing that and healing it. I mean, we're getting into somewhat Chiron territory, but really those atomic, as you say, like fusion into fission, these for these tectonic forces and even though you don't have control over it trying to address it in some way or bringing it into light and oftentimes I think it does relate to matters of brokenheartedness that need to be transformed and moved through yeah absolutely it's absolutely wonderful (laughs) um so the meaning of your name Marin could you tell us a little bit about that so when I looked it up as a kid, I found out that I meant Sea of Sorrow, and I thought that was really interesting. I knew, because I do speak Spanish growing up in Texas, I wondered if Mar and Marin had anything to do with water. And then when I was younger and saw that I meant Sea of Sorrow, I found it kind of ironic um, 
because my mom just named me after someone she met that she thought had a cool name. But um, after reading that, I think that that's been an interesting journey, especially because I am not a water sign heavy person. But Mm -hmm. I guess you could say that the world around me, I am surrounded by a lot of I actually am do tend to be surrounded by very watery people. But um, Mm. that's that's my name. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. You know, it's funny on the podcast, I get quite a few people who are either from Texas or who live in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you ever make it to New Orleans at all or spend any time yeah. here? Or? I spent oh, okay. several, um, not in an adult way, but as a kid, I spent several Mardi Gras in New Orleans oh, okay. with okay. Uh, my, my parents. And I, I took a few road trips there, so I'm pretty familiar with, with it. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so as, as you were, people m- might have remembered this from the bio, but so, and we talked a little bit about kind of readings, approaching readings, how, you, you know, how you might, you, you know, through your philosophy and all that psychological whatnot, but you're actually, as you say, your interest is much more in mundane and political astrology and these larger kind of forces, if you will, in the world. So h- how did you make that shift into you know, these, the larger, if you will, that's a good word to use, these, mm-hmm. you know, forces in the world. What what precipitated that shift? So when I was younger and my interest in personality got me into astrology, I felt it kind of like this. Um, I consider it to be an egoic excitement. Like I was so excited about getting to the bottom of people or mm-hmm. getting to the bottom of myself. And in a similar way, I wanted throughout my life to be an actor because it was this egoic, like I wanted to get applause. So I think that mm-hmm. there was something I was trying to get out of of only psychological astrology mm-hmm. where I loved astrology, but it wasn't the same sustainable interest in Mm. underlying patterns and world events and political themes that um, similarly just my passion for philosophy was where uh, I just found the difference in interest being either immediate and irrational almost Um, not that I, I still give readings and I still you know like to look at the natal chart for people but there's a much more sustainable long term interest in themes and and um just the underlying cycles where it feels more like what i'm catered towards and over time the more that i've trusted that it's led to the most opportunities when i just do things that do feel aligned in that way that are more subtle and underlying that's really interesting do you think you ever think of the interplay between the individual and the larger collective, especially in in your own work? Like you're you're doing mundane or political astrology, but you do think of individuals in the context of this or the individual. Yeah, I do definitely think of okay. both um like the transits and how that might be affecting or not affecting, but might be indicating something happening to people. And then I also think of the alignments, especially outer planet alignments right now that indicate the people that are born during this time having the generational theme. Right. Like right now, pe- these babies are going to be forces of nature with Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto all in Capricorn. Right. Um, so that's how I there's no way to escape um, part of it. And uh, that'll always be a theme. Right. And um you know, we had touched on it a little bit before, but you also, you know, people check out your stuff. I mean, you also do a little bit of tarot, too. How do you approach the tarot? I am not super interested in tarot. I mm-hmm. think that I 
dabbled in it when I took a course a few years ago in the mm -hmm. connection between tarot and astrology. Mm -hmm. And I see it as um, kind of like astrology is the satellite view of looking at everything going on and tarot is you on the street actually walking through. So they're like completely different things that can have connection. But um, I use tarot in some ways to a little like cherry on top or to get a little right, better, right. you know mythological archetypal interplay but the more actually that I grow the more that I find that I have trouble with tarot not that I, I think it's cool and I dislike it but after all these years I still have to look at my like notes like that's just and that's I've never heard that with astrology which is interesting because that's so much more technical but I suppose that is being a left-brained person where um, I'm like, I don't remember this card and I need to look it up. <laughs> that is so interesting. I mean, you'd think, wow, you're going through these ancient texts. I mean, I don't even, I don't, I don't have the chops necessarily to do that, <laughs> but no, no, no. And, um, but it's interesting. I mean, what you, what did you say when you're walking down the street, breezing through, I forget what the exact, but that, that's so New Orleans. I mean, it's, right. you know, people, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I agree with you in a certain sense. I, usually you know when I'm doing a reading the chart takes care of everything yeah um I mean a couple times um you know okay I'll pull out the cards but that very yeah. it's strange very rarely um so you know that that's that is very interesting you know this always comes up and it's like dun 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 fate and free will what do you think <laughs> yeah I, I talk at length about it, actually, uh, ever since I started studying studying uh, philosophy at a graduate level, the ideas of determinism always mm -hmm. really um, were interesting to me. And I quickly found the sentiment of compatibilism pretty rational in the sense that we're experiencing linear time and we are making one decision after another, but if we hypothetically could be an omniscient God at the end of human lives, if we could look back on our lives, we would see that there was a path. So I don't see there being a difference in determinism or free will. I see mm -hmm. our free choices being a part of what is already determined because us choosing it determines it. So it's wow. a lot of my perception. And I'm careful not to use the word fate with it because fate is simply that which will come so that is like that's whatever's going to happen but determinism is the thought that there's something already written out and I agree with that and I think that it's written out based on what we have already chosen in the future so it's a lot of inception and I someday I'll probably release all of the messy undergrad papers I wrote on it or maybe I'll mm -hmm. actually have more um more I don't know correctly cite, cited and formatted papers in my graduate career but I do see them kind of like two sides of the same coin that mm -hmm. it's mechanistic worldview that we think everything is cause and effect where it's part of a larger formula more like it is um yeah it's more more interrelated than they are at odds well just quickly let's get into um some of the books you've written but are there any books or works of literature that you love that really stand out to you my favorite books of all time are Catch-22 by oh, Joseph yeah. Heller mm -hmm. and A Farewell to Arms by Hemingway. Mm. And it's very strange that um, 
someone, I guess, who presents themselves and interacts with the world like I do would be so into war fiction. But A Farewell mm. to Arms is my all-time favorite, which is interesting because the main character is not in the military. He's an ambulance driver. But <laughs> those are my two favorite books. Um, they're very much – they very much – um, prove that I have a Mars Saturn square because they're very frustrating reads. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. I was I happen to be reading, it's not, this is a great coincidence, I happen to be reading Catch-22. It is very difficult to <laughs> read through. It is, and you know, it's, um, it doesn't really have, it, it has the inanity of sort of some of those situations, that, but they're tragically very real. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, you yourself are a writer. So how about, let's talk about Bad Flower. This is set in London, aspiring photographer, and it gets into, I find this very interesting, who owns art and drugs and kind of manipulation. So what'd you set out to do with Bad Flower? I have been super influenced by the train spotting book and movie series since I found it as a teenager, just as a work of art, which again is very interesting because as a straight edge who doesn't leave the house, it's very interesting that I find these things very fascinating. But I loved the um, the the reality of these people. I, I found it fascinating that these people had so much um, passion and creative ability and um, were then wrapped up in drugs and it was almost mm-hmm. this push-pull between different ways of exhibiting states of ecstasy or creativity and I found that very interesting just because I tend to be a workaholic and mm-hmm. so uh, getting to know characters and issues that I haven't faced myself is very interesting and all, all my fiction work has been a lot of psychological thrillers mm-hmm. that I, I can't, uh, they're like, that I have not been through um, drug addiction in England in the year 2000. Like, I <laughs> not relate, but the idea was things that fascinated me because I couldn't relate. And so I really got in the mind and used mm-hmm. interest in what psychology I was studying to greater understand the behaviors that I could write into fiction. Wonderful. And also a prisoner of memory. And then this gets into you know, growing up in difficult circumstance and then, you know, perhaps trying to overcome that through ambition, but that's not always the way to do it. So could you talk a little bit about A Prisoner of Memory? Great title. Yeah, that was inspired by feelings and sentiments I had that I wanted to personify. So Mm -hmm. people that know me and know that I speak at great length around the consequences of growing up with Um, an alcoholic mother and just an overall environment that wasn't really child friendly. And Mm -hmm. so the book itself is not me, my autobiography, but it's the feelings of trying to run away from something by being successful that just Mm -hmm. keeps intertwining itself as reoccurring issues that get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, you know, one thing is an inconvenience as a child turns into a way of relating to reality as an adult that is literally debilitating. And so Mm -hmm. that was the extreme hyperbole of the consequences of not healing initial Mm -hmm. traumas or attempting to. So that was just a bit that's like 500 pages of hyperbole on, on a very, very extreme scale. Oh, it's 500 pages, really? I think it's 400. I formatted wow. it so that I, I at the time when I like did it, I requested like slightly bigger font than usual. It would be around 300 wow. pages, but it got up to like I don't remember how many pages. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, right, a, it's it's a long book. All right, it's amazing because I do a little bit of writing myself. I mean, it's amazing yeah. to me you like get that many pages 
put it together. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know how you have the time to live your life. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's incredible. Um, okay, so we're somewhat coming down the pike here. Let's talk a little bit about just the astrology of what's happening. Um, you know, I think one thing that really, in my opinion, has gotten left out of this whole thing was some of the nodal shifts that have been happening through 2020 and then into 2021. So namely that the beginning of 2020, we had the North Node in Cancer, South yeah. Node in Capricorn, and then I think it was literally Cinco de Mayo switching yeah. to Gemini uh, Sagittarius. And, you know, I remember thinking at the beginning of 2020, okay, we all know new Saturn Pluto conjunction was coming. Also series, lots, you know, everything there. Moon, yeah. Um, so just lots of stuff there. But I was, I said at the beginning of the year, I don't know what it is, but you have to really protect yourself and get down to basics with just your kin and basic familial surroundings like this and a protective shell. Um, and then the feel of that and the emotion. Don't know that that's like a hard prediction, but, and then that, shifted to Gemini so and then and now the north node is going to be in Gemini all through 2021 so I was I'm wondering specifically what you think because you know people talk about the nodes and it's a big deal but it's been so much about Saturn Jupiter you know Pluto let's give some love to the nodes what's going on with the nodes 2020 2021 (laughs) yeah seeing the north node as massive increase and the south node as massive decrease I think is helpful when we see that we are having a supercharge of information and data. You know, Gemini mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the phrases, it's the um, anachronisms, it is the very, very small scale data. And I think that not only I've seen that just in my own life with just finding <laughs> talk, because that is the most short attention span, supercharged data. I mean, the only my algorithm is all finance and business showing up on my feed and I'm getting just like so many straight facts and things like that um, mm. that are it's so, so fast scale. And I think that it's not a coincidence that that is obviously it's not a coincidence, but it's coincided with, you know, Zoom culture. And mm-hmm. when we are inside so much more data and I think that on the interrelated flip side, the South Node in Sag is the um release of more all-encompassing belief systems and Mm -hmm. now there being so much synthesis of um beliefs and ways of looking at the world where Mm -hmm. it's difficult to find you know someone either in their political or in their just like music taste who is not genre bending doing many different little things so Mm -hmm. that's how i see it where we're letting go of thinking that there's like a unified unified field theory to the way that we live our lives and we're kind Mm -hmm. of overwhelmed with what that means for our attention span that's absolutely wonderful. And I had two thoughts to what you were saying. I mean, we do live in many ways in a disenchanted literal world. Like yeah. you think of like Google wor- or like ad words or literally like hashtags. I mean, it's so literal. Um, and, you know, there's of course, there is such this eclecticism. I mean, even, you know, and I guess this is somewhat what we're saying too with a thread going throughout this podcast, like trying to, for, I forget how it relates to what you're saying, but trying to force some kind of order on the cosmos through some sort of unified belief system and kind of letting that go because it's just when you try to do that chaos actually occurs ironically i'm right. um, sorry i love the way that you put this this is great so quickly just and i know you have the a lot of the moon information on your website but could you talk a little bit about just some basic things about working with the moon maybe electionally or just because i think a lot of people can relate to that you know really you know 
um, relating to the moon, just some basic tips, and then people can check it out more in depth on your website. But since we're talking about the lunar nodes. um, Yeah, I see the moon as a really immediate indicator of things coming into being and falling away, where there's a cycle always going on. And Mm -hmm. with the new moon, that is the dark seed planting, and Mm -hmm. specifically the day after the new moon, once light is increasing and we can see the moonlight, I like to set intentions or put a kind of plan into motion for for me, I know what house in my chart it's happening in, so I have like mm-hmm. a framework. But if someone's newer, they can just think of, you know, new moon, once we're a day or two after setting an intention. And then full moon is either cord cutting and ending the chapter, or it's releasing what I've been working on out into the world. And I usually do that the day before the full moon when light is still increasing. And Mm -hmm. then after the moon is full, the light starts decreasing. And I like to use that, you know, inward time to recalibrate and reconsider what is the next area of life that the moon will be in for me to pay attention to that new cycle. That's wonderful. You know, and um, there's a gentleman, Terry McKinnell, he had come on the podcast. I only bring this up because you might know this, but there's a phase of the moon called sting of the tail And it's essentially, you know, like, let's say the sun, well, okay, like this, the new moon in Cancer at the earlier, this, um, it was, you know, on the solstice, I think. And Mm -hmm. so the the sun has to traverse over all those degrees. So if it started at zero or one degree, and then it ends up at like whatever, 28 degrees, 29 degrees, the moon, when it's waning down, still has to traverse over all those degrees and that to come back to new again. And that phase is called the sting of the tail. Mm. And it can be really intense and it's time to really let things go at that time. That's so for people, I think I just haven't heard of people talk about that that much. And I'm really always pushing this because I think it's a really good thing. Like, right. Because think about it. If you say, okay, the great, you're talking about the new moon, great stuff. We got to clear some stuff out before the new moon too, right? Like you have to, there's probably, you're going to have to, if you're going to really do a new moon, there's, you're going to have to let some things go, right? Right. Yeah. So very interesting. Okay. So great stuff. Um, Astrology. So, you know, we're recording this at the end of October. I think everybody, 2020, we know what it's been. Let's look to 2021, 2022 and beyond. I know that but this is big, but, you know, you do think big. I mean, you're you're into mundane and political and these huge world events. So what do you think, Marin? 2021, 2022 and how, how can people because we talked about this before, how can individuals handle this? So luckily, the astrology moving forward is nowhere near as critical or contractive where I mean it's not as if this is hindsight bias like you could have looked hundreds and people did look decades hundreds of years forward to 2020 and that's it was I'm the word unprecedented is overused but it's it's it was very very contractive on a scale where that's not normal it was kind of that everything was in the same build-up compounded areas of life and 2021 we start having more I guess what you would call normal astrology where planets are more spread out that there's still difficulties and there's still good things, but they're just more evened out. And mm-hmm. in particular, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction right. over time historically has coincided with a new 
once it switches elements like it is for the first time in 200 years, Mm -hmm. a new structure of reality in a way that is defining of the events and innovations and with it being an air signs, Mm -hmm. I do see that as the rise of more pandemic and more illness, but also more innovation and Mm -hmm. more fast paced thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's something that will begin next year, which I think will make next year a very pivotal year for realizing that. And at the same Mm -hmm. time, Saturn will be square to Uranus, which Mm -hmm. is limitation at odds with liberation. It is Mm -hmm. the conservative uh, fear at odds with the anarchist rebellion. And that's coincided over time with many liberation movements of oppressed peoples for societies at large. And Mm -hmm. so I do see that as um, possibly manifesting in government changes, depending on how party lines fall in different parts of the government. But Mm -hmm. Overall, even though it's a hard aspect quote, I look forward to the things that come up as a result of that for change in society. And I'm also looking forward to Jupiter dipping into Pisces. Yes, I was just going to say that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Jupiter in Pisces for like May into July and then for all of 2022. I just see that as I think that that will be some glimmers of hope when things begin to um, look more on the bright side than just dealing with 2020. You know, it's interesting. And I looked at, I think it might've been the Rudyard American chart and they're different American charts to you, but I I was look. you might be interested in this, Marin. Every time Jupiter moves into Pisces in the American chart, it really is about who kind of owns the narrative and the story. Yeah. Because he, yeah. Yeah. So check that, you know, that I'd be interested to see what you think about that. Cause it seems to really, whoever has kind of like just this, cause Pisces is about the collective and really who has like the narrative and the stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's so, you know, people think about that for yourselves. What's the story you're writing for yourself on an individual yeah. basis? Jupiter will be in Pisces at the same time as, the Pluto return of the U.S. will be really exact and Saturn will be transiting over the U.S.'s moon. So that combination looks really interesting in terms of with with Pluto return happening in the United States, second house. I think there could be a financial overhaul that is, you know, gripping the nation. But that overall, there is some like optimism or things or there's like yeah. a now there's maybe a worldwide vaccine. So people are traveling again, things like that, where mm-hmm. there's things going on, but there's a spirit of hope. Yes. Now, you are a cosmic chef, or that's the name of your book. So, so you know, I, I love this because my husband, he went to culinary school and he comes from, you know, a baking family. I mean, his mother quilts. I mean, you should see them. So what what are some of your favorite recipes? And you can get some of these on your website and you have the book Cosmic Chef. So what, what are some of your favorite like go to? You're like, this is the one. I am like my astrology practice. I'm a fan of simplicity. And okay. I my, my cooking journey began as a kid who, yeah, I became vegan pretty early on. And I was never into anything too complicated. So a lot of it is curries and uh, pasta recipes that are very, very teen and college friendly. And mm-hmm. my favorite thing to throw together is usually tofu and veggie coconut curry over mm. brown rice. Or I like to make a good like cashew curry sauce mm. with some. Um, I love chickpea pasta. I think Bonza chickpea pasta is the best thing ever. I just mm-hmm. I I love. I'm a big chickpea fan, so anything mm-hmm. chickpea sure. I really love. And mm-hmm. um, my favorite food of all time is Japanese sweet potatoes, the purple skin, mm. white inside. Mm-hmm. I'm 
very much a fan of very simple things like that. But similar things are in my, yeah, my cookbook ebook and on my YouTube, I have a lot of vegan recipes and they're, they look really pretty because I'm really extra and the real <laughs> now, but they are so easy and yeah, really yummy. What about any, any baked goods or sweets, any favorite like cookies or bars or you yeah, know, anything? Okay. I, go to our pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. Mm. I use, it's so simple. It's like oat flour. It's whatever sweetener you want to use. It's pumpkin, it's spices, chocolate chips. You throw it together in either cookies or muffins. And that website, that is on my website. And I use that same layout. And sometimes I switch it up and add in different flavors or additions. But I find just pumpkin and chocolate chips to be incredible together. So that's, I literally actually have the dry mix ready to go to make after this because I decided <laughs> to get it. So that's ready for after. Yeah, I'm going to have to try. I'd never thought of that combination. That sounds really good. Okay. A couple last things. So you were involved in Maxim Australia. There was a contest and you had a top placement. So what was that like? I mean, that seems impressive. I mean, getting to the top 1% of this contest yeah, I don't know how they contacted me, but basically I guess they found people on Instagram and they're like, do you want to participate? And I was like, sure, I'll I'll um do that. And yeah, I got to one of the finals for being on the cover. And at that point, I noticed that everyone else who was in the running was like one um a bit significantly older than me. And not that I had a limiting belief that I couldn't do it, but I knew at that point I would be have to like spending all this money to buy votes. Right. And so right. yes. I was proud. But um yeah, it was it was cool. I just like the opportunity because I've always been a fan. In a weird way, I find social experiments like reality shows or mm -hmm. contests like that very interesting in a sure. way that's very fascinating. So mm -hmm. whenever I get the chance, um, I like to I actually I don't think I've ever signed up for something like this. But if I I'd totally do it again, it was very interesting. You know, it's funny. You bring me back. So for a hot minute, I was a director of marketing for a company in New York and we did an editor desk side with at Maxim Magazine and in New York. <laughs> that was, I don't know what it's like now. Talk about a freewheeling office. I mean, not your usual work environment that you would walk into. <laughs> so, so, okay, we're almost out of time, but you also, you're the founder and owner of Rossi Collective, right? Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so that is a website that's kind of like Yelp for spiritual practitioners. Okay. And that came about understanding the Rashis as the houses in Indian astrology right. and wanting to create like a house for people to connect mm. over spiritual services. And that is still very much a beta website. There's been a lot of other projects that have commanded my attention, but the website mm -hmm. is still up and running. And it's where you can post your spiritual services or esoteric or any kind of healing modality and other people searching for it can find you. So basically like Yelp, but for, um, the people interested in these kinds of these kinds of lines of work. That's wonderful. So that's about it, except one last thing that I, I pulled a quote from your website. You say ignorance isn't bliss. It's a sedative. So <laughs> what, how might you interpret that for people to help them? That not knowing is not the way to feeling better that not mm -hmm. knowing is being in a state of darkness not knowing that there is more where mm -hmm. it's similar to plato's cave of mm -hmm. just not having knowledge not being some kind of purity but being a lack thereof and so mm -hmm. the more that we can learn it might take some painful adjusting our eyes to that sunlight 
but in the end, we're glad to have reached the view to see all of that once we do adjust and accommodate for that knowledge. Well, that's great. And that, you know, again, I don't it keeps coming up, but that is crime and punishment. I mean, basically, <laughs> it's Raskolnikov. He's like, he's in bed, basically, a lot of the novel. And it's, I think it's like, get out of bed to like, get out of the darkness. <laughs> it's right. one way that I would put it. So that's about it. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about, Marin? I mean, you have so much stuff going on. Is there anything else you wanted to, you know, let people know about or... Right now, I do have membership communities about to launch on my website, which okay. are going to start offering more astrology-related lifestyle content, like um, live yoga flows with me and um, calls for every new and full moon. So my courses and everything are still up and running, and now I am offering a bit more, um, a bit more feedback to an audience that might want more catered, detailed mm-hmm. lifestyle content about astrology. Right. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're really involved with the content. I mean, it doesn't seem like you just slap it up there and then that's it. You can purchase the video. I mean, you were saying like you're really, it's an iterative process and you're you're kind of with the people with the content, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, mu- very much too Capricorn rising Virgo sun to at all be <laughs> okay. just like throwing things out there. I mean, even on my days of creating content it's like very structured and very very um thought out and accommodated mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's great mm-hmm. all right well thank you so much Marin. and this is dan beck signing off from the star love podcast and remember if you love the stars they'll love you back on the next episode of the star love podcast we feature astrologer and teacher rebecca gordon we discuss rebecca's impactful efforts in the field of astrological education her artistic background, and her involvement in the larger business community. If you're interested in sponsoring a future episode or season of the Star Love Podcast, email Manager James at james at intermakeup.net. To support the continued production of the Star Love Podcast, go to the Leave a Tip Make a Wish section at intermakeup.net.